This week I'm joining you from my own home as I learned late this week that a member of my family may have been exposed to the coronavirus. So until we can get accurate testing for our family, we'll be self-quarantining. The staff and leaders at AUMC are committed to doing all that we can to aid the efforts of our healthcare professionals in continuing to battle the ongoing surge of COVID-19. So welcome to the pulpit for this week. And let's talk about this week. As a preacher, I always try to approach crafting a sermon in the way articulated by 20th century theologian Karl Barth, who famously said that we should hold the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Just as we cannot separate our faith from our personal lives, we also cannot separate our faith from the events of this world, especially in the Christian season of Epiphany, when we celebrate the incarnational nature of God. The fact that God loved the world so much that God made a home in it, in the flesh, as Jesus. I was on a Zoom call this past Wednesday afternoon when I received a text from Ann Gore, our leadership board chair, asking if we could push back our meeting a day. Fine by me, I thought. I could use the extra time to catch up on my emails. Then I got a message from Pastor Kathy and then a few friends, and then some family, each lamenting some sort of breaking news, but none naming specifically what had happened. And that's when I turned on the news and saw what I trust each of you did, a protest that had devolved into a violent riot, an armed insurrection. Images of angry mobs violently invading Congress for the first time since the War of 1812, Video of terrified politicians and their staffers barricading themselves in their offices, wondering if the gallows erected outside was a symbol or meant actually for them. Perhaps the most startling picture was this image of the man who came in tactical gear and equipped with heavy-duty zip-tie handcuffs designed for hostage-taking. It doesn't take an elaborate imagination to know what he had come to do. It was a scene we were accustomed to seeing in third world countries where democracy is perhaps being established, not in the cradle of our own democracy. When we witness domestic terrorism and insurrection in our own country's capital, when, when flags declaring Jesus is Lord fly alongside Confederate flags and next to signs calling for the murder of political opponents, when white supremacy is on full display as a rioting mob is met with little resistance for hours on end, when conspiracy-driven extremists seek to intimidate not just political parties or a political figure, but anyone who does not share their very narrow and false view of reality, they chanted hang pence along with hang Pelosi. When that is the newspaper, you find yourself holding along with the Bible. It's not a question of what do you say. It quickly becomes a question of where do you start? In the Christian calendar, this Sunday is called Baptism of the Lord Sunday. Today, we traditionally commemorate Jesus' baptism and remember our own baptism as a covenant community. The more I sat with this week's news, Knowing our faith has a lot to say about not only how we process what happened, but also how we proceed. The more I sat with that, the more I felt myself drawn to the waters of baptism and the story of Jesus' baptism in the Gospel of Matthew. It's a brief story, but there's more happening there than may first meet the eye. And in a few short verses, Matthew opens up the concept of baptism in a new and powerful way for the Christian community, for us. Matthew sets the scene 
by telling us this. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. You know, locations are always important in Scripture. And the location of Jesus' baptism is no different. First, it divided both symbolically and literally the, the promised land of Israel from the wilderness of the outside. In this story of Jesus' identity being revealed to John the Baptist in the larger world, Jesus' own identity is wrapped up in being located on a border, on a boundary, and making this his home. But secondly, the River Jordan was just that, a river, a living water, as Scripture tells us, as opposed to a standing pool like, say, the Dead Sea, where the Jordan River actually ends. In his Jewish tradition, Living water was necessary for the most powerful of cleansing rituals. So it certainly makes sense that Jesus would choose the Jordan for this moment. But this Sunday, let me suggest something more may be happening here. I've been to the Jordan River. I went with a team of students several years ago while I was in seminary. We were there right around Orthodox Christmas, which incidentally meant that Russian tourists were everywhere. Now, I know this week has been heavy, but I process through humor sometimes, do you? Can I share something kind of funny with you today? I know we were surrounded by Russian tourists, not because I speak Russian or because I got to meet a whole lot of them, but because for some reason, Russian groups in Israel frequently wear tracksuits with the word RUSSIA emblazoned in all caps across their backs. It was like being at the River Jordan with the Russian Olympic team or something. But then again, American tourists are famous for wearing American flag polos and stuff all the time, so maybe we just each have our own favorite patriotic travel attire of choice. Anyways, I didn't have the chance to officially remember my baptism, as we say, in the Jordan River, but I did stick my feet in, and friends, it was frigid. I mean, ice water cold. Some of the coldest water I've ever felt. Granted, it was January, but I actually swam in the Dead Sea at the same time, and it was downright pleasant. And with the high salt, con salt content in the Dead Sea, you float incredibly easily. It's almost surreal. And the mud at the Dead Sea is a highly prized exfoliant. If you wanted to rest and relax, the Dead Sea is practically spa day. The Jordan River, by contrast, is a surprising bucket of ice water. And Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, not the Dead Sea. Jesus chose living water over water at rest. He chose a cold current over a warm respite. I bring this up to say this. Baptism is not the still waters that grant us rest. It is God's current in which we are caught. Baptism is not the still waters that grant us rest. It is God's current in which we are caught. Baptism was the beginning of Christ's ministry in the world. It was how he chose to begin really living and working as God's son on earth. And yet we so frequently treat it as a finish line in the church today. The reality is baptism is a living water that calls us to join the great river of faith and to be about God's love on the move. The baptismal moment reminds me of the famous words found in Amos, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. 
When we enter and remember the waters of baptism, we join this great current of faith and commit ourselves to continuing this faithful work. Now, now Matthew can hear us asking, what kind of faithful work are we to begin, Matthew? And so he continues and writes this, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. The scene is fascinating because it it represents a debate that continued throughout the early centuries of the Christian church. If Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, the the perfected vision of humanity alive in the flesh, if Jesus was without sin, then why would he need to be baptized? Remember, John claims the same Jewish tradition just like Jesus. And this ritual was about personal cleansing. Even in living water, cleansing the deepest of sins, this wasn't something Jesus apparently needed. The word at the center of this question comes... When Jesus says it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. We've seen that word before. We saw it almost every week in Advent as it was used to describe Joseph and Mary and Zechariah as a way of saying they lived in line with God's will. In the Methodist tradition, baptism is an outward sign of the grace of God at work in the lives of all people. And in the case of older children and teens and adults, it's a sign of their spirit being made right, like Joseph and Mary and Zechariah in the eyes of God. But there's more to that word righteousness. There's there's more to baptism, in fact. Righteousness can refer to the way a person lives according to God's will, but it can also refer to the way that our larger world lives according to God's will. Another word for that is justice. God's love and will at work in the world, justice, righteousness, and justice were one and the same in this one word that Jesus uses. And so suddenly, Jesus' baptism begins to make more sense, and our baptism takes on more meaning as well. Jesus isn't getting baptized simply to cleanse himself. He's receiving baptism as one who now intends to set right not just his own personal soul, but the world as well. So often, the concept of baptism in American Christianity is reduced to a completely individualistic thing. We've treated it like this magic trick that we perform to help people go to heaven. But it's always been about so much more than us or being personally saved. It's about not only marking God's work in our lives, it's about marking our lives for God's work in the world. Baptism is less about bringing us to heaven and more about bringing heaven to earth. Is it any wonder Why immediately after Jesus rises from the waters, the heavens split open as if to say, here we come. Jesus begins this work that we continue, this ushering in of the kingdom of God. Yes, through our own personal work of growing closer to God and developing that righteousness within, but also through embodying the love of God, that living justice in the world around us so that it becomes impossible to see where earth stops and heaven starts. And what does heaven on earth look like? What does that work require? Matthew again hears us asking. And again, he offers a response. 
And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. You know, when we spend enough time in the Christian faith, sometimes we can forget the power of really basic key concepts. I, I know I do this all the time. The Son of God. The Son of God. Now that's a phrase I've spoken countless times and I've heard and read even more. This is the first time anyone listening to Matthew's gospel has heard Jesus' identity spoken so plainly. He's been Mary's son. He's been hailed as the Messiah by John the Baptist. But now there's no fuzz on it anymore. God's own voice cries out, This is my son. No longer do we have a prophet who tells us about God. Or, or a priest who teaches us God's movement in the scriptures. Instead, we have something new, entirely different and more potent. Theologian Sarah Dillon Brewer puts it this way. When we say that Jesus is God's son, going about the family business, we're saying not only that Jesus is like God, we're saying that God is like Jesus. If you want to know what heaven on earth looks like, look to Jesus, Matthew says. Watch his work, listen to his voice, witness righteousness and justice at work in the world. And so for 25 more chapters, Matthew will show us precisely what heaven on earth looks like, the kind of work that we have before us. It's cleansing lepers and flipping tables. It's calming storms and casting out demons. It's granting voice to the voiceless and speaking truth to power. It's feeding the 5,000 and gathering at one table with tax collectors and prostitutes. It's welcoming children and rejecting false prophets. It's laying down arms and resisting the urge towards violence. It's crossing borders and picking up crosses. It's the same work that it's always been. Love God and love neighbor. But it's not just in our sanctuaries or in our scrolls. This time it is in our midst and its name is Jesus. Same Jesus who will say to us just before ascending into heaven, now go and make disciples of all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You've seen what heaven looks like on earth, he says. Now, now invite the world to join the ever-flowing stream of faith. Make my righteousness your own, says Jesus, and make justice the reality for this, my home. And so today, we come to remember our own baptism, our initiation into the body of Christ, and our covenant to commit our lives to God's work in the world. If you have a source of water ready, I've got the bowl from our sanctuary. I invite you to draw it near you now, and I'll ask you our historical questions found in the United Methodist Book of Worship along with words that fit the spirit of today. And together, we will renew our baptismal covenant. So I ask you now, in the community and presence of the church and with the Holy Spirit, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? My friends, do you sense God stirring you from your slumber? Do you feel the cold waters of righteousness rushing over your face? Do you relent to 
the current catching you up in God's love on the move. If you do, say, I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? My friends, do you share God's love for the world and invite heaven upon the earth? Do you embrace the personal and systemic work that leads us not only to uproot sin, but also to embody justice? Do you stand as an ally to the poor and the powerless, willing to lower yourself so that God could be exalted? If you do, say, I do. And do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. My friends, do you see God in the eyes of Jesus? Do you see Jesus in the eyes of each other? Do you see each other as belonging to a kingdom where racism, white supremacy, and nationalism give way to God's equity, justice, and love beyond borders? You do. Say, I do. At this time, take whatever water is before you. Remember your baptism. Friends, the violence that we saw on Wednesday was not an isolated incident. It was the latest visible symptom of deeper-seated sins present within our culture. And just as Wednesday did not exist within a vacuum, our work will not disappear overnight, in two weeks, in two years, or even over the course of our lifetimes. Our work is not dependent upon the occupant of the White House. It continues until heaven is at home upon the earth. As we pray for healing and unity and peace within our nation, may we remember that healing can be painful. Unity requires accountability and mutual respect. And peace will be felt where justice is found. It sounds like work. Compared to this week, it sounds a lot like heaven. You feel the water flowing. Is the current catching you? Remember your baptism. Know you are beloved. Bring a bit of heaven down. Amen.